I want to just bring you a few highlights from this new Unger's Bible handbook. That's another one that is very concise, very helpful when you're trying to learn this stuff. This isn't the easiest book in all the world, Leviticus, nor the most interesting, and yet God says that every word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it's profitable for us. So if God tells us that every page and everything, even though it isn't a, a fascinating story, yet this is the law of Moses. And when our founders started out, they started out with all of these laws in their minds because they were Christian. They knew these things. This is Dr. Ryrie's note, outline of Leviticus. And we saw that the book of Exodus is the book of redemption, how to be redeemed. And the book of Leviticus is the book of atonement, or how to have fellowship with God and how to approach God. We finished up with Exodus. The tabernacle was finished, and the priesthood was there, and everything was set up, but how are they to approach God? And so that's the book of Leviticus. And they get the word from Levi, for the priest. It's about the priests. And so we've seen in the first six chapters the five different offerings that you'll see in this outline of Leviticus, the way to God is through sacrifice. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And men are trying to change that today, that there's all kinds of ways to get to God. Jesus said there's one way, only one, and that's through him because of his sacrifice. And as I was reading someplace, and it was just so touching to me that Maybe it was another one of the commentaries that just imagine that Jesus leaving glory and all the glory he had in, with God the Father in heaven before he came here, and then leaving all that glory. And we read how gorgeous Lucifer was before he fell. The angels, imagine God's own son in his glory up there. And you can kind of see from Leviticus chapter 1, all the gorgeous stones and diamonds and rubies that they walked on these things. And, well, this was the one that he divested himself of all that for a time so that he could be born and be a human. And yet, the virgin birth is a very interesting thing. God simply borrowed the womb of Mary, a very wonderful girl. Jesus said, you've prepared a body for me. It was a prepared body. It wasn't a body like we came in by natural appropriation. It was God preparing Jesus to be fully human, and yet not one taint of humanity's sin. See, Mary was a sinner, and if he'd had her genes and all, he would have had her sin, but he didn't have any of that. And so he's a special person, but God in the flesh so that he could come and be the sacrifice for our sins. And to think that he would leave glory and take upon himself the form of a servant and as a servant die and pay for our sin. And that's what Paul says in Philippians. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But this is God's plan. There's no other way for man to have his sin taken away except through sacrifice. And animal sacrifices would not do. That's the whole book of Hebrews in the New Testament, and much of the New Testament. You can't understand the New Testament. You can't understand John 6 about feeding the 6,000, and Jesus saying, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now that's all pictured, prefigured, like in the peace offering. These different offerings, they all point to a different aspect of the work of Jesus Christ. And so the weight of God is sacrifice, and there were these five offerings, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. Now we would put it maybe in a different order, but this is the order that God has. The burnt offering was the whole animal burned with a sweet-smelling savor to God. It pleased God that Jesus took upon himself the sin of the world and as a sacrifice, was a whole burnt sacrifice, a sweet-smelling savor. Now, some of them were 
the sin offering and the trespass offering were not sweet-smelling savor to God. And so we'll see that as we move through here. But the burnt offering and then the grain offering, which is non-bloody, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. And then now we come in, in chapter 6 to the added instructions concerning these offerings. We talked about the offerings last week. And in my chart here, here over here, and I can't find anybody that mentions this, but it just seemed so logical to me that the animal sacrifices, they're all in the stars, in the star pictures. All of these sacrificial animals are up here in, in the zodiac. That's how Noah knew how to bring a burnt sacrifice. Abraham brought a burnt sacrifice long before the law of Moses. And so man knew from the earliest days, from Adam and Eve's time, how to approach God. The way of approach to God was through sacrifice. So before we start, let's ask God to bless us. Lord, please bless us as we look at these things and see the way of approach to you through sacrifice in the law of Moses and how it prefigures all that Jesus was going to do for us when he died on the cross and how awful it was that night when he said, Father, if this cup can be taken from me, but it couldn't. There's no other way. So the cup he had to drink, which was becoming sin in our place, the Holy Son of God who left heaven in all of its glory to do this for us, it just should make us want to bow down and thank him and worship him and serve him. So, Lord, bless us as we consider these things today. In Jesus' name, amen. In chapter 6, added instructions concerning the offerings, the burnt offering. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command Aaron and his son saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth upon the altar all night until morning. And the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. So that brass altar in the front where you know where it was before the tabernacle had to be kept burning all night long. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen trousers he shall put on his body and take up the ashes of the burnt offering which the fire has consumed on the altar and he shall put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments, put on other garments. Evidently, every time that he would do this, he had to put a new linen garments on because they were soiled and they had to be fresh. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen trousers, put on his body, take up the ashes of the burnt offering, which the fire has consumed on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. Verse 11. Then he shall take off his garments, put on other garments, carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place, and the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out, and the priest shall burn wood on it every morning. Now this is law. I mean, it's every detail that you can imagine. Aren't you glad that it came to a halt when Jesus came? We're not under law, we're under grace. But these same principles are all brought into the New Testament too, of holiness and how we're to live and how we're to walk and how we're to approach him. But we don't have to do all of these things. And these people that want to worship from Friday night to Saturday night, Christians, they don't do all of this. They leave all this out, and with good reason. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning. It shall not be put out, and the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order on it, and he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. And the perpetual fire shall burn on the altar. Underline that. It shall never go out. And then it comes to the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it on the altar before the Lord. He shall take from it his handful of the fine flour, just a little bit of it, of the grain offering, with its oil and all the frankincense, which is on the grain offering, and burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma as a memorial to the Lord. And the remainder of it Aaron and his son shall eat with unleavened bread. It shall be eaten. So most of it, Aaron the priest would eat this, grain offering of the bread. It shall be eaten in a holy place in the court of the tabernacle. No other place in the outer court of the tabernacle. They shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. Leaven is always a type of sin. I have given it to them as their portion of my offerings made by fire. 
It is most holy, like the sin offering and the trespass offering. All the males among the children of Aaron may eat it. It shall be a statute forever in your generations concerning the offerings made by fire to the Lord. Everyone who touches them must be holy. See, we're going to hear about holiness, holiness. That's a word we don't like to think of today. But God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. We're going to see the results of when they aren't holy, what happens to them with Aaron's sons. This is the offering of Aaron and his sons, which they shall offer to the Lord, beginning on the day when he is anointed. One-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a daily grain offering, half of it in the morning and half of it at night. It shall be made in a pan with oil. When it's well mixed, you shall bring it in. The baked pieces of the grain offering you shall offer for a sweet aroma to the Lord. The priest from among his sons who is anointed in his place shall offer it. It's a statute forever to the Lord. It shall be wholly burned. For every grain offering for the priest shall be wholly burned. It shall not be eaten. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The sin offering. Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. Now, we saw uh, the sin offering is for root sin in Adam. That's the way I remember it. And just write it there. Root sin. In Adam, we are all sinners. In Adam, all die. As in Christ, Paul says, all are made alive. So we are all tainted with sin because we all came from Adam and Eve. And so speak to Aaron and his sons. This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, the sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It has to be the same place. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. He shall eat the sin offering. In a holy place it shall be eaten. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting, everyone who touches his flesh must be holy. And when his blood is sprinkled on any garment, you shall wash that on which it was sprinkled in a holy place. But the earthen vessel in which it is boiled shall be broken. I'm sure the earthen vessel has something to do with our bodies of clay. That's what it pictures. And the earthen vessel in which it's boiled shall be broken. And if it's boiled in a bronze pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. All the males among the priests may eat it. It is most holy. But no sin offering from which any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of meeting to make atonement in the holy place shall be eaten. It shall be burned in the fire. So for atonement going in there, it's not for that at all. So the trespass offering, likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. Now this figures daily sins and the things that we commit that we ask God to forgive us for. Just write First John 1, 9 after this, because that's the trespass offering. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the trespass offering. And its blood shall he sprinkle all around on the altar. And he shall offer it from all of its fat, the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails, and the two kidneys and the fat that's on them by the flank, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as an offering made by fire to the Lord. It's a trespass offering. Every male among the priests may eat it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It's most holy. The trespass offering is like the sin offering. There is one law for them both. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. So he can have that meat for himself. And the priest who offers anyone's burnt offering, that priest shall have for himself the skin. Not the burnt offering, it's burnt. But he can have the skin of the burnt offering which he's offered. So he could make rugs or whatever he needs to from the skin. Also, every grain offering that's baked in the oven and all that's prepared in the covered pan or in a pan shall be the priests who offers it. Every grain offering mixed with oil. See, God's taking care of these priests because they didn't have an allotment of land or anything else. The people were to take care of the priests. Every grain offering mixed with oil or dry shall belong to all the sons of Aaron, to one as much as to the other. Then comes the peace offering. This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offering, which he shall offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving offering, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of finely blended flour mixed with oil. And we saw that last week the finely blended flower pictures Jesus in his humanity, absolutely perfect, not one sin or blemish in him. 
and from it he shall offer one cake, verse 14, from each offering as a heave offering. So the heave offering would be thrown up to God. The wave offering goes this way, but the heave offering, they would throw it up to the Lord. And from it he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering. The flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day it's offered. He shall not leave any of it until morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or a voluntary offering, it's not for thanksgiving, it shall be eaten the same day that he offers his sacrifice. But on the next day, the remainder of it can also be eaten. The remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned with fire. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, nor shall it be imputed to him. Whoever offers it shall be an abomination, and the person who eats of it shall bear guilt. The flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire. And as for the clean flesh, all who are clean may eat of it. In fact, they've confessed their sins and they're clean before the Lord. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belonged to the Lord while he's unclean, that person shall be cut off from his people. Now, we're going to get a lot about the clean and unclean and what makes you clean and what doesn't. And so you could just be very thankful that we live this side of the cross in this church age, not the age of the law. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offerings that belong to the Lord while he's unclean, that person shall be cut off from his people. That means he's disqualified from worshiping. He won't be killed, but he, he's just like excommunicated. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel saying, You shall not eat any fat of ox or sheep or goat. And the fat of a beast that dies naturally and the fat of what is torn by wild beasts may be used in any other way, but you shall by no means eat it. For whoever eats the fat of the beast of which men offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, the person who eats it shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall not eat any blood in any of your dwellings, whether a bird or beast. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, He who offers the sacrifice of his peace offerings to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offering. His own hands shall bring the offerings made by fire to the Lord. The fat with the breast he shall bring, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering like this before the Lord. And the priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron's and his son's to eat. Also the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a heave offering. So they would put the heave offering and wave it there, offering from the sacrifices. Give it to the priest of the peace offerings. Verse 33. He among the sons of Aaron who offers the blood of the peace offering and the fat shall have the right thigh for his part. For the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering I have given from the children of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offering and I have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons from the children of Israel by a statute forever. And then when you read like in the book of Judges and others where the priests were so corrupt and during the Old Testament they'd say bring me, the fa bring me all and they'd force the people to give them things that God didn't give them. He gave them plenty, but they said, we're taking more. And so God, he didn't like that at all. So this is the consecrated portion, verse 35, for Aaron and his sons from the offerings made by fire to the Lord on the day when Moses presented them to minister to the Lord as priests. The Lord commanded this to be given to them by the children of Israel on the day that he anointed them by a statute forever throughout their generations. So I think it was Dr. Ryrie said, they are washed, like Titus 3, 5, that means regeneration. We are washed by the blood of Jesus. They were clothed, Ephesians 4 said, we are clothed with Jesus' righteousness, and they were anointed. See, they were special. And so all of this, this is the law of the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the consecrations and the sacrifice of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day when he commanded the children of Israel to offer their offering to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. 
Then in chapter 8, we're going to see the consecration that the priests had to, they had to be washed, clothed, and anointed. But before we do, I want you to turn to Ephesians 2 for see this peace. How do we have peace with God? They had to go through the peace offering. And so we read Ephesians 2.14. Well, I'm going to read a little bit. Paul's saying here to them, this whole thing is so wonderful. It's right after he says, For by grace you're saved through faith, not, not of yourselves. Salvation is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you, you and I, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision, made in the flesh by the hand, like Jews called Gentiles, dogs, uncircumcised. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off had been, have been made near, not by the blood of bulls and goats and rams, you were made near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, the peace offering. He is our peace, who has made both one, Jew and Gentile, and broken down the middle wall of division between us, having abolished in his flesh this enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access, you and Gentile, by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. Now therefore you and I are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now remember this is the New Testament, not the Old Testament. The church isn't built on the foundation of Isaiah, and Jeremiah, we're built on the foundation of the prophets in the New Testament, like Agabus. And then there were a lot of prophets in the New Testament and apostles. We know who they are. The foundation we're built on of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself becoming the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, the church, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built for a habitation of God in the Spirit. And also he mentions about the peace of God which passes all understanding. That's in Philippians. So the peace of God which passes understanding will keep our hearts and minds. And then Colossians 1.20, turn back there again. All of the New Testament refers to these things in the Old Testament. It says here, let's start. Oh, this is... <laughs> This is so wonderful, this first chapter. Let's go back a little bit in Colossians. He's delivered us from the power of darkness, translated us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, verse 13, in whom, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, blood sacrifice, the way of approach to God, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. So who did the creating of this earth? Jesus did. Not God the Father. He was up there calling the shots. But Jesus was the servant doing. He created everything that was in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him, in Jesus, all things hang together, or consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He was the first to rise from the dead, never to die again. There were others who rose from the dead in the Old Testament, but remember that, but they died again, like Lazarus, he raised, but he died again. And then the, the widow of Nain's son and all. They all died, but not Jesus. He's the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. 
For it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness of the Godhead should dwell, and by him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth, this is what Second Corinthians says, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he's reconciled. So he's made peace, the peace offering, through the blood of his cross. Then you, who once were alienated, are now reconciled to him in the body of his flesh through death to present he wants to present us holy and blameless and irreproachable in his sight if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard which is preached to every creature under heaven of which i paul became a minister then in just in connection with this turn to hebrews 9 just a minute where we see many of these same things that it's just so thrilling to see because if you don't know about the Old Testament law, this would be meaningless almost or not understandable at all. And so we see here that first of all in chapter 7 of Hebrews, we meet Melchizedek who was a king priest of a Gentile king priest and so we're going to see that Jesus is a king priest but not from the line of the family of Aaron. So he was a king priest from the family of Judah. So he came from a different family, like Melchizedek. So he was a king of righteousness and a king of peace in verse 2 of chapter 7. Then we see here chapter 8. Now this is the main point of the things we're saying. We have such a high priest, like Melchizedek, who is seated because of his resurrection at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. Who erected the first one? Moses. But God has one in heaven that he erected. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. We've seen that. Aaron and his son appointed to offer these gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it's necessary that Jesus also would have something to offer. What did he have to offer? For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. See, all these things in the Old Testament were just copies and shadows of truth and of heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he, God said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mount when you were up in mount sinai i showed you the pattern of something you're to copy the pattern is in heaven but now he's obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is a mediator a go-between of a better covenant a better law a better contract than moses had which was established on better promises for if that first covenant had been faultless Moses covenant then no place would have been sought for a second because finding fault with them God says behold the days are coming says the Lord now this is from Jeremiah 31 write that in your margin that's a very important passage behold the days are coming says the Lord when I will make a new contract a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they didn't continue in my covenant. They had a golden calf. They did all kinds of things we're going to see that displeased and disregarded. They didn't continue in his covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Now this hasn't happened yet. So we can see in Ephesians in the ages to come. So this is the church age. So obviously, Paul was writing that there's another age after the church age. That's the age of the kingdom. And then ages, plural, the kingdom after that is the eternal ages. So in the ages to come, he said, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind. This is during the kingdom age. And I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord. Don't you want to be saved? Don't you want to know the, know the Lord? For all shall know me in those days. 
You don't have to go out and evangelize. Everybody will know him. From the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says a new covenant, he's made the first Mosaic covenant that we've been studying in Leviticus obsolete. It's done with as far as God is concerned. Obsolete. Now why do people persist in trying to keep all these things in the law? Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Then indeed, even the first covenant, Moses' law, had ordinance of divine service and an earthly sanctuary, the tabernacle. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was a lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, or the holy of holies, which had the altar of incense and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, and above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things had been prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services, lighting the lamp, putting the showbread in place. But into the second part, the Holy of Holies, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. The way to heaven was still not made manifest while this first tabernacle was then. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect or forgiven completely in regard to the conscience, concerned only with food and drink, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation, till the time the Messiah would come. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He was God in the flesh. He wasn't human like we are. He didn't have humanity's sin, and yet he had humanity, but perfect humanity. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the Holy of Holies, the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Now this happened up in heaven. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling of the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, how much more that will purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, Jesus is the mediator, the go-between of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called, which means believers, may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there's a testament or a will, there must also be the death of the person who wrote the will, the death of the testator. For a testament is enforced after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purged with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness or remission. Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the truth. But he, after he rose from the dead, he said, Don't touch me now. I haven't yet ascended to my father and your father. I think that that time he went up and presented the blood. Then he came back 
Because the next time he comes and says, handle me and see that it's I myself. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but he's entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, like the high priest enters the most holy place every year, over and over again, with the blood of an animal sacrifice. Then he would have had to, Jesus, if he did it often, would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, in the end of the ages, now this brings us to the end of the ages, the end of the early ages of the earth, from Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years or 2,000 ages, and then from Abraham to Christ, another 2,000 years. So 4,000 years or four early part of the ages. There's going to be seven. This church age is next, the sixth, the kingdom is seven, and eighth is on into eternity. So this is what he said, in the early, in the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away by the sin of sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once, only once, to bear the sins of many, of everybody. He bore the sins of the world. And he wants everybody to be in heaven. Well, why aren't they in heaven? Because they won't come to God his way through his sacrifice through Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved, Jesus Christ. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So when he comes back, first of all, we believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, that he's coming for us before the time of tribulation. And it's apart from sin, he'll just come to take us up to be with him. Then the tribulation will happen. Then we'll come back with him to rule and reign with him for a thousand years on this earth. And it's going to be a wonderful time. Isaiah talks about it all through the Old Testament. Not only is there sacrifice, but it's about the kingdom that will come, that the Jewish Messiah will come, and finally there will be righteousness on the earth, and he will do that. And so then this 10th chapter, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come, not the very image of the thing, this law can never with the same sacrifices, which they can offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect or forgiven, for then they were just atoned for. Do you see the difference? They were covered over until the next year. One doctor, a Jewish doctor, said to me on the day of atonement, I've been atoned for my sins for another year. That's what they say. But the law having a shadow of the good things to come, not the very image of the thing, can never with these same sacrifices continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect or forgiven. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshippers, once purged, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices that they made that we're reading about now, back in Leviticus, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when Jesus came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering, this is Psalm 40, you might want to write that in. Sacrifice and offering that David wrote that you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings, sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure, God. Then I said, Jesus is speaking, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it's written of me. This whole book is written about Jesus. In the volume of the book, it's written of me. I've come to do your will. Oh, God, said, I don't want to go to the cross, but your will be done, Lord. I'll do what you want me to do. And there was no other way except his death on the cross. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, oh, God. So Jesus takes away the first, the law of Moses, that he may establish the second the law of Jesus. By that will we have been sanctified, set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. And they were always in the 
tabernacle, always doing these things over and over again, these same sacrifices. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. That hasn't happened yet. He has so many enemies today, I want him to hurry up and come back and make him his footstool. Put him under his feet. He'll crush the serpent under his foot. From that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he's perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So that's eternal security. Once you believe in Jesus, you can't lose your salvation. And the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said this, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is a remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. You don't have to offer. No more offerings. No more animal sacrifices. No more offerings. Jesus once for all did it. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest. You mean I can go right into the Holy of Holies? Oh, without dying? And the high priest could only do it once a year or he would have died. And he had to go with blood. Therefore, I can enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, which is a picture of his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. He died just once, didn't he? So if we sin willfully, knowingly, if I go out and tie one on today, willfully knowing it's wrong for me, there's no more sacrifice for sin. He did it once for all. So what is there for me? If we sin willfully, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment. We're going to see Nadab and Abihu were judged by God, Aaron's sons. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose he be thought worthy who's trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall, Paul is saying to these Jewish people, recall the former days in which after you accepted Jesus were eliminated, you endured a great struggle with suffering. But then false teachers came along, and that's the book of Hebrews, and taught them and in Galatians, oh, Paul was all wrong. You have to keep the law of Moses plus believe in Jesus. But you endured great struggle with suffering, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly because you were companions of those who were mistreated. For you had compassion on me, Paul says, in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Yet for a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, slips away from him, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we're not of those who draw back to perdition, judgment, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. When you go home, read the 11th chapter tonight, but now back to our part where we are today. Through the priests. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, the anointing oil, and a bull as a sin offering, two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread, and gather all the congregation together. And just this morning, I was going through the ancient names of each of these figures in the zodiac and what they meant. And they all have to do with the sacrifice of the Holy One, the Mighty One, the One who's coming to rule, but that He's going to suffer. All of this. So when you look and see Virgo and Leo, and you see at the top of the page the bull up here, that that's in the last part of the zodiac where he's coming back to rule and reign as a raging, furious bull, and he's going to take care of his enemies. And that pictures in Adam, we're all sinners. So the bull pictures that. The bull is a sin offering and two rams and a basket of unleavened bread. What did I write here? The bull, uh, the names of the stars. Taurus the bull. The main star is called the governor who would be slain. And the next major star, the coming Lord slain as a sacrifice. Adam knew this. He knew there's a coming Lord who would be slain as a sacrifice. Then when he brought the ram, uh, the lamb in Genesis 22, a ram caught by the horns in the thicket as a substitute. Now he's going to come, you know, as a sacrifice, but he'll also be as a substitute, a different animal sacrifice. Then the goat of atonement slain for the redeemed. And in Corinthians we read, Christ is our sin bearer. So each of these animals, and there's a goat of atonement here, and where, what is the name of that main? Well, if you have one of Bullinger's Bibles, uh, the Companion Bible, it's all in the appendices in the back. And if you want to just spend a little time reading these ancient names, it's just a, the Bible in just pictograph, really. It's just very, very interesting. So bring all these things and gather all the congregation at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, chapter 8, verse 3. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is what the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. They had to be washed, and that pictures salvation the water of life, and he put the tunic on him, girded him with the sash, clothed him with the robe. See, when we accept Jesus, we're clothed with his righteousness. Put the ephod on him and girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod, and with it tied the ephod on him. Then he put, Moses put the breastplate on Aaron, and he put the Urim and Thummim in the breastplate, and he put the turban on his head, also the turban on its front. He put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil, anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it, and sanctified them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, anointed the altar and all of its utensils, and the laver at its base to sanctify them. The base of the laver probably held water, too, for their feet. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. Then Moses brought Aaron's sons and put tunics on them, girded them with sashes, put hats on them, as the Lord had commanded. And he brought the bull for the sin offering. Then Adam, they're saying, in Adam, I'm a sinner. And he brought the bull for a sin offering. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering. And Moses killed it. Then he took the blood, put some on the horns of the altar all around with his finger, purified the altar. He poured the blood at the base of the altar, sanctified it to make atonement for it, covering for it. Then he took all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull, its hide, its flesh, its offal, he burned with fire outside the camp as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he brought the ram, the substitute, as a burnt offering. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. And Moses killed it. And he sprinkled the blood all around on the altar. And he cut the ram into pieces. And Moses burned the head, the pieces, and the fat. Then he washed the entrails and the legs in water. Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt sacrifice for a sweet aroma and an offering made by fire to the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he brought the second ram, a ram of consecration, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. 
and he took some of its blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot this is to consecrate the priest. So what they hear, what they do with their hand, where they go, it's to be consecrated to the Lord. Then he brought Aaron's sons. Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ear, on the thumbs of their right hands, and the big toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood all around on the altar. Then he took the fat and the fat tail, all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and their fat, and the right thigh. And from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread anointed with oil and one wafer, and put them on top of the fat and on the right thigh. And he put all these in Aaron's hands and in his son's hands and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar on the burnt offering. On top of the burnt offering, they were consecration offerings for a sweet aroma. This was an offering made by fire to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it as a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' part of the ram of consecration, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil, some of the blood which was on the altar, sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him. And he sanctified Aaron, or set him apart, his garments, his sons, the garments of his sons with him. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and eat it there outside and don't come into the tabernacle itself, out in the court uh, in the meeting and eat it there with the bread that's in the basket of consecration offering. As I commanded, saying, Aaron and his son shall eat it. What remains of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn with fire and you shall not go outside the door of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days. You stay in there until the days of your consecration are ended. For seven days he shall consecrate you. And as he has done this day, so the Lord has commanded to do, to make atonement, to cover for your sin. Therefore you shall abide at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so that you may not die. For so I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. Now then, I don't have time to get into this, but it came to pass on the eighth day, which always pictures eternity, that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, this is the inauguration of the priest. And that's where we'll start next week, chapter 9, where the priests are inaugurated, where they can start doing their service. Um, McDonald's commentary has some wonderful thoughts on this also. If you have a William McDonald's commentary, I got mine from Dave Hunt, but you can get it anywhere. And it's really wonderful too. And this is wonderful too, the Unger's Bible Handbook. And Ryrie's notes are very good, but they aren't quite as copious as some of these other longer ones. Lord, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, bless it to our hearts. Amen.